Let's jump into the message this morning. It's called By His Spirit. And I want to start in Zechariah chapter 4. In Zechariah chapter 4, Zechariah receives a vision. This is kind of cool and kind of funny. Where an angel comes to him and wakes him up and says, Zechariah, what is it that you see? And he says, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. Around the bowl are seven lamps, each having seven spouts with wicks. And he said to the angel, what are these things? The angel said, don't you know? No, I don't, he said. There's a good chat. And then he revealed this to Zechariah. He said, this is the word of the Lord for Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. The mountain will be removed. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it. May God bless it. God then gives Zechariah a second message about not despising small beginnings. Maybe you've heard that before. And then he wants to clarify something about what he's heard in this vision. He says, what are the two olive trees either side of the lampstand? And what are the two olive branches that pour golden oil through two gold tubes? Don't you know, said the angel? No, I don't, said Zechariah. <laughs> Every time he's given him a hard time. The angel revealed it to him. He says they, pr- they represent two anointed ones who stand in the court of the Lord of all the earth. The Israelites had been sent to exile. And when they come back to their homeland, they are dead set on rebuilding their temple. Now, Zerubbabel was the civic leader of Israel at the time, a leader of Jerusalem rather, and had the responsibility of seeing through this work. But the work had stalled. They had lost, he had lost encouragement and he needed some encouragement to keep on going with the project. Come on, we've all been there. We've had a project where we started with a hiss and a roar. We were filled with enthusiasm and energy, but for whatever reason, the work has stalled. It's like something gets in our way. There's a bad Area, we lose motivation and we feel like we're dragging ourselves uphill. You know, Darcy and I, we recently finished renovating our little house. Um, when we started, it was original 1976 decor. Now, the teenagers of today would say, it's a vibe, it's so cool. I'm telling you, it was gross, it was filthy, and we wanted to get rid of all of it. So we stripped wallpaper, we painted, we installed a new kitchen. We kind of like redid the whole thing from top to bottom. But when I say we finished renovating, if I have to be honest, I got to let you know that we fell short. The ceiling in the hallway has not been done. Because every time I got to it or thought of painting this thing, I just lost motivation. I couldn't be bothered. Because I'd have to get up there and rub all the little marks that the flies make on the ceiling. There's going to be marks on the ceiling in hell, I tell you. You've got to like paint above your head. You're painting a white ceiling, a different shade of white. Like it's just not glorious. And to be honest, I just couldn't be bothered. Well, we recently moved out and I hadn't done it. I just decided, no, I'm not going to finish the job. That's for someone else to worry about. I had every intention of finishing the job. I knew I was capable, but I just kept finding opposition. I lost motivation and I couldn't finish the work. And it can feel like that sometimes. We face opposition in what we're trying to achieve and what we feel called to do. Despite our best efforts, we just don't seem to be making progress. Did you know that throughout its history, Jerusalem has been destroyed at least two times, attacked 52 times, besieged 23, whatever that means, and recaptured 44 times? I mean, talk about opposition. This place has gone through all sorts of challenge, trial, and opposition towards it progressing. And God is saying as Zerubbabel, hey, I want to encourage you. You're going to rebuild the temple. You're going to finish the work that I've set you on to, but it's not going to be by might. And it's not going to be by power, but it's going to be by the outpouring of my spirit that makes this possible. 
See, might focuses on the collective strength, the resources of an army or a group. I think of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. You've got a group of people that think they're so amazing. They're so powerful. Nothing can stop them. They're like, we're going to build a tower to reach heaven. But it turns out that God just scattered them and mixed up their languages. Power, power focuses on individual strength. I think of Moses back in the Old Testament thinking that he could manage and process the pastoral care needs of hundreds of people. But his father in Lord Jethro in his godly wisdom said, stop doing that, Moses. That's ridiculous. You don't have what it takes. You don't have the strength. You don't have the resource. You cannot handle that alone. And so he instructs him to divide the work among other people. He says, that's not good for you. And it's not going to be good for those that you're trying to care for. And it's kind of like God is saying to Zerubbabel in this moment through this vision to Zechariah. He's like, there's not one of you that have the resource to get it done. In fact, collectively, you don't even have what it takes. It's not going to be by your cleverness. It's not going to be by your ability or your physical strength. But the temple will be rebuilt by the Spirit of God. You know, this is the same Spirit of God that hovered above the waters in Genesis chapter 1. It's the same Spirit that opened up and then closed the Red Sea in Exodus 15. It's the same Spirit of God that brought life to a valley of dry dead bones in Ezekiel 37. The Spirit, the breath, the Ruach of God. Remember last week, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Now looking back to the vision earlier in the chapter, we see that God wanted Zerubbabel to know that the Holy Spirit would continually supply his every need in the same way that the olive trees that gave oil in the vision would continually supply oil to the lamps on the lampstand. God wants his supply and our reliance on the Holy Spirit to be continual. And it's interesting that earlier on in the vision, there was a lampstand with a big bowl of oil on top. And the two olive trees and the two olive branches that poured golden oil through those two uh, tubes were representative of the two anointed ones. You know, oil is a common biblical picture for the Holy Spirit. Oil is a common biblical picture for the presence of God, for the heavenly anointing of God on His people. You know, oil actually heals and was used as a medicinal thing in biblical times. So the Spirit of God brings healing and restoration. Oil lights up a lamp when it's burnt. The Spirit of God brings light. Oil warms when it's used to fuel a flame. Where the Spirit of God is, there is warmth and comfort. Oil invigorates when used to massage. The Holy Spirit invigorates us for His service. Oil adorns us when applied as perfume. The Holy Spirit adorns us and makes us more pleasant to be around. Oil polishes when used on metal. Well, Actually, the Holy Spirit wipes away our grime and smooths out the rough edges. And the anointing of the Spirit of God creates in us and ease where there seemed to previously be no ease. And I'm not saying that the Christian life is easy because it's not, but I am saying that when we realize, man, I can't do it all on my own. In fact, even collectively as a community, we don't have everything that it takes, but that we actually need God to make a way. What happens is we begin to realize that the way becomes clearer and there becomes an ease to the way that we go about things. I love how our founding pastor, Pastor Luke, explains this. He explains the anointing, like the grace that you get to excel and have strength and ability in areas that you previously didn't have. Now, it doesn't mean that you sit back and do nothing, but that the success comes from the grace of God and not ourselves. It's like pushing a car. If you own a Holden, you might be more familiar with this. Uh, (laughs) I'm just racking you up because Holden and Ford people love to have a yarn about that. Who cares? Anyway, it's like pushing a car. Pushing a car is hard work. Pushing a car 
uphill, man, that's incredibly hard work. But if you were to try and push a car downhill, you're still going to push the car, but it's like it's guided and it's easier. There is an ease to it. And this is what happens when God's anointing is on your life. It's by the power of the Spirit that you can find ease in your day to day. Yeah, parenting is hard work, but it's by God's Spirit, His anointing and His grace that you can take it in your stride and do a better job than you thought you could. Progressing in your career still requires hard work and perseverance, but you no longer have to try and throw other people under the bus to try and elevate yourself. It's like God opens the right doors at the right time. He rewards you for your faithfulness and He makes your path straight. Dealing with a difficult family situation can have you feeling heavy and burdened. And Jesus said, if you are feeling heavy and burdened, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. You know, the Holy Spirit, he wants to give you wisdom, patience, insight into the greater picture. He wants to give you a calmness to take the next step in front of you. And this is how God leads us when we're trying to deal with a situation where we feel out of our depth. When we take each day, not in our own power, not reliant on the might of the community around us, but by trusting in a spirit, we find that the desire to strive mounts away and there's no mountain that could stand in our way. And I want to chat just for a few more minutes today on what it actually means to be led by the Spirit of God. Because we can say, that's cool. It's not by power. It's not by might, but it's by His Spirit. And we might joke and say, well, but the Spirit of God's not going to, you know, do my job for me. The Spirit, he's going to play the keys for me. But the Spirit of God's not going to physically do it. So what does it mean to be led by Him in a practical sense? First thought this morning is this. Um, we have to walk through open doors. Walk through open doors. Now, don't get confused because you're going to come across a whole lot of closed doors and you've got to pers- persevere. Like, don't give up doing what God has called you to do. The Bible says, keep on knocking until you get what you came for. But can I encourage you? You've got to knock on God's door. You want His wisdom. You want His direction. You want His strategy for your life. And I think so often we spend so much of our time, our energy, and our focus trying to make a name for ourselves or create our own opportunities that we forget to consult God on the process. We forget to say, Hey, God of heaven, who knows the beginning from the end, what do you think? Which way should I go? How do you want to lead me in this? Let's go back again to Genesis 11, that group of people that thought they were so amazing they could build a tower to reach the heavens. In Genesis 11 from verse 4, it says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, this is good. Otherwise, if we don't do that, we would be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And I just imagine going, sorry, what? Scattered over the face of the whole earth. I wish I thought of that first. Don't mind if I do. Boom. That's exactly what happened. He's like, stop doing that. Stop trying to reach the heavens in your own strength. Stop, stop trying to think you're so powerful and amazing without me in your life. And he scatters them to teach them a lesson. You know, one of the most significant parts of our vision here at Elam Christian Center is to have church-based Christian education available all throughout New Zealand. We have a vision to have a school attached to every one of our church campuses that would not only bring hope and life to its community, but that would also raise and release young people to honor God and His timeless word. Now, God has called us to do that. We know that has happened. We've seen fruit in it before, but that doesn't mean we've always got our approach exactly right. And we have to be so careful as people to not accept God's calling on our life. Oh, that's amazing. And then turn our back on His process. Now, I'm not saying that we've turned our back on God in in the process. But what I am saying is there have been times when we've been knocking and knocking and knocking on doors that God just was not ready to open. A few years ago, we were trying to get a role increase for our Botany Campus School because we have hundreds of people on the waiting list, hundreds of young people and families that want to get their kids into the school. Uh, But the Ministry of Education 
caps our limit, caps our role, because they pay our teachers, and if they don't want to pay for any more teachers, well, we don't have space for any more students. And so we would submit a request for a role increase, declined. We're like, what? That's not how this is meant to go. We would submit another request and no response. We would just fly people down to Wellington to try to get them in front of the right people to have the right meetings and still no success. And we'd be like, why God? I thought you called us to build church-based schools. Like, what's going on? And here's the thing, church. He absolutely did. He absolutely has. He's still doing it. But God sees a bigger picture than us. And so what we had to do is for a moment, a couple of years ago, we just stood back. We weren't giving up. We knew what we were called to do, but we stood back and said, God, are you saying something different? What is it that you're saying in this situation where it seems to be that the door is closed on a direction that we think we're meant to be going? And it turns out the government wants to work with us in developing schools in developing areas. So they're like, Botany's packed. There's lots of other schools, but there's a whole lot of other areas. We want to work with you in building amazing schools. And we thought, that's incredible. It wasn't a no from God. It was a not here, not now. Our goal remained the same, but we we're initially trying to go through a door that God wasn't ready to open. Now, we can totally trust God to lead us and guide us, but we have to believe that He sees a bigger picture than us because it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by His Spirit that we will achieve our vision. What an amazing reminder for us that we could have the greatest people, we could have the greatest resource, but anything we try to do without the Spirit of God is limited. When we try to go ahead of what God is doing in our own strength, we'll only meet opposition. Do we still have to put in applications, draft up plans, get consents, gather finance to build the buildings, jump through a whole lot of hoops in order to get the schools up and running? Yeah, we do. We still have to push the car, but we don't have to strive to make a name for ourselves. And can I encourage you to not drop your head when the door you've been knocking on just doesn't seem to be opening. Step back. Do what we had to do as a church. You're not giving up, but you're saying, what is God saying in the midst of this? Is there a different way through? Is there a different way around? What might God be teaching me as I sit disappointed in front of a closed door? See, if God has closed the door, stop trying to climb through the window, all right? Stop trying to make your own way, but read the signs and say, maybe the vision is still accurate. The vision is still for me. The vision is still there and true, but there's a different way around and God's leading me in a different way. I love Revelation 3 verse 8. It says, I know all the things you do, This is God, and he says, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. I love that. You don't have a lot of strength because it's not by might and it's not by power. Even though in your low strength, you kept obeying me, you kept being led by the Spirit, and I've opened a door for you that nobody else can close. um, I've shared this a few times before, but I remember graduating uh, as a teacher and there were no jobs. And I remember being so frustrated. I was like, God... You call me to teach. Like I genuinely feel like I've been gifted to teach and here I am saying, God, why haven't you opened the doors for me? This is ridiculous. I remember being so frustrated. What sort of God are you? You'd send me through university and then you close the door. Like this is so cruel. I remember honestly just being so frustrated. But I decided to seek God as a response to that frustrating moment by doing a year at Elam Leadership College. And can I tell you, oh, he was preparing a way I hadn't even considered. He was doing something in the background that hadn't even crossed my mind. Now I get to teach, but I get to teach the Word of God. I know now that I'm here, I'm exactly where I was meant to be. And I'm not saying that every teacher should aspire to be a preacher. But for me, I know that's exactly what he was preparing me for the whole time. Is God preparing you for something similar but different? Is He refining you? 
Are you continuing to try in your own strength, in your own might, in your own power, maybe relying on the collective might of the community to get you through when really we just need to take a moment to say, God, I want you to lead me. I trust your leading. I see that you know the bigger picture. You know more than I do, and it might look different. I believe the vision's still the vision. I'm going where you've sent me, but it's going to look different along the way. First thing we need to do is walk through open doors. If God has closed the door, stop trying to close, climb through the window. Secondly, uh, this morning is trust Him on the detour. Trust Him on the detour. Man, this is hard, right? Yeah, nice one, Frosty. Easier said than done. It is. It's far easier said than done. I remember when I was younger, one of my favorite places to go in all the world was Motat. Now, Motat is the museum. Don't you laugh at me. It's mean. Uh, the Museum of Transport and Technology. It is the greatest thing to ever come out of West Auckland. Um, it was like, it's still there. We went a little while ago, and I still loved it. Um, all the other adults had kids with them, but not us. Um, <laughs> It's filled with like big old locomotive trains and old fire engines. There's like a historical village. There's all these cool science exhibitions set up for kids. Um, and <laughs> but I remember as a kid, one of my favorite attractions at Motat was the Mirror Maze. Yeah, that's right. You heard, it's not there anymore. But it's this massive maze, like full-on maze that you can run through, made out of like 10-foot-high mirror panels, even on the ceiling. And so you would run through the mirror maze, and I just loved it. I thought it was a whole bunch of fun. You'd be working your way through, like feeling around, like not knowing where you were, and all of a sudden, bang, you'd smack your face, and you wanted to blame someone, but the problem was looking back at you in 12 directions, and you realize it was only your fault. Sometimes you'd be going left, sometimes you'd be going right. I didn't really have a method, sort of just staggered my way through and then I came out the other end and often I would come out the other end with a whole bunch of injuries because I was stubborn and wanted to just figure it out myself at speed. Now I'm competitive. You, you might know that. I'm quite competitive and so I got a bunch of brothers as well. When we go to Motat, it was like, it's on. It's the mirror maze race. Um, and that's why men have a lower life expectancy than women because... We do stuff like that. We're going to run through a mirror maze. Um, and so we would time ourselves to see who could get the best time through the mirror maze. I remember one time I was smashing my face, like twisting my wrists and everything all, up, all throughout this whole thing. And I was halfway through and I thought, there has to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to do this. And then I remember having another attempt. Oh, and something occurred to me. It's like my eyes were opened. I discovered a strategy. I figured out that you could step right into the start. You could put your hand on the left wall and watch the wall line on the left, and you could just follow that, and that would guide you straight to the end. No more trying to smash into walls, no more pushing the wrong walls, no more going down dead ends, no more trying to figure it out. Now, I realize in hindsight, the right side would have done the same thing too. Uh, but at the time, I was like, the left side is like a magic side, and you can just follow that and get all the way through. And so we had another go, and I made it through in record time, and my brothers were like, how did you do it so fast? And I told them, it's because I'm better than you. <laughs> There was a guide that helped me avoid the dead ends. There was a guide that, I, that would make my path easier, but I still had to take action. There was a path that I could trust every single time. And I want to let you know that the Word of God and the Spirit of God is like our guide who can be trusted every single time. It doesn't have to be as confusing as a mirror maze. But if you try to figure it out on your own, doing it all in your own strength, it might be. But God wants to guide you. If you live according to His Word and the leading of His Spirit, you're going to find He's going to give a path to you that makes sense. And you don't need to stagger your way through, but He will guide you through to your destination. There might be times when you feel like you're going backwards. Times when you feel like you're going sideways. Times when you're like, man, I think I've lost sight of what it is that God has called me to do. But can I remind you, you were never created to do this life alone. He created us for relationship. The Bible says that 
our spirits connect with God's spirit and then internally within us, it confirms that we're children of God. You know, parenthood is upon us. And even though it's gonna be all new to me, I realize I know nothing. There are a couple of things I've already decided. I want great things for my son. I want him to have every opportunity. I want him to fulfill all that God has called him to do, but I will not make every decision for him. I will allow him to fail so that he can learn. I will reflect with him so that he can do better next time. I know that circumstances may cause him to rethink his direction or approach, but as a parent, I can assure you the goal will never change. I always want him to excel and do well. I always want him to honor God by putting obedience above his convenience. I always want him to put the needs of others before himself. But as a dad, I'm gonna have to learn to lead him in different directions and ways to help him get there. And he's gonna have to trust me in that. And this is how God interacts with us. This is God's approach to us as his children. If we could do everything in our own might, in our own strength, we would just run in a clear straight line thinking we knew everything and we would miss the beauty of the detour. You know, when God redirects you, He's not denying you. When God takes you through a valley, you can be sure that a mountaintop moment is on its way. When God asks you to sit and wait, you can trust that that's necessary. I love the end of that vision that we shared right at the start that God gave to Zechariah about Zerubbabel. He says, nothing not even a mighty, mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. Ben, you can join me. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're trying to achieve. I don't know what closed doors you're seemingly sitting in front of. But you might say, man, there's opposition to what I'm doing. Good. Good, because there's an opportunity for you to see God do something in your life. There's opposition to your plans. Okay, we expected that. You know, God designed you for a relationship. And I say that and it's important because I think sometimes we feel like God is being nasty and there's opposition and there's closed doors. And we're like, God, why won't you let me do what I want to do? And he's like, because what you want to do is not important, as important as what I'm trying to achieve. Me knowing you personally is more important than anything you could ever do. We have an amazing dream team here. I love them. They make church possible. They welcome you in brilliantly. They lead us in worship. They welcome on the doors. They make coffee. They look after the kids. They do the whole thing. But I want every person in our dream team and those that have not yet joined the dream team to know that your value rests in the fact that you're a son or a daughter of God, not in what you do. You are valuable. You are welcome. You are accepted. You have home here, whether you do something or not. We just know that there's more in you and you can make a difference with your life. But your value is not rested in what you do. And you might find there's opposition, but God can be trusted. He sees the big picture. My question for you this morning as we close is who have you put your trust in? Have you put your trust in your own power? Well, I've got to learn to do it myself. I moved out of home at 16. I had to learn to do everything myself, but I've had to unlearn that and understand that if I think I have to achieve everything, man, I'm so limited. I'm like Moses that tried to care for everyone. And my father-in-law Jethro says, stop being an idiot. You don't have what it takes by yourself. And that's okay. We're not meant to have everything we need all by ourselves. He created us for community. Maybe you put your trust in the might of our community. Man, we are stronger and we are better together. We can achieve more. We can go further. There is so much that we can do. And yet together collectively, we still don't have enough. If we think together collectively, we've got all that it takes, then we are just like the people who try to build the Tower of Babel to reach the heavens. And God says, come on, you don't have enough to reach heaven on your own. Only heaven can come down to you. Or do you have your reliance on God, on the Spirit of God to lead the way, to shift the mountains and to elevate you when the time is right?
He wants to lead us through open doors and He can be trusted on the detour. Let me pray for you.